just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. What's up then guys, it's time for another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast with your favourite tutor, Ian Dawson Mackay. Next Level Guy is a go-to men's interview, interest and improvement website where I quiz the experts to find out the hacks, tips, methods and protocols that you can implement in your own life to take it to the next level and live happier, healthier, wealthier, sexier and so much more. Today's guest is AJ Jacobs. AJ is a writer and a human guinea pig. He's written four New York Times bestsellers that combine memoirs, science, humour and a dash of self-help. AJ is famous for undergoing intensive, deep dives and long-term challenges where he undertakes something or investigates something as thoroughly as possible, such as following the exact rules of the Bible for one year or thanking every person involved in his morning coffee, that's every single person who's involved in making or brewing or selling or advertising and so much more of his morning cup of coffee, regardless of how small they are in terms of their involvement in the role or how costly or difficult it was to source them. It truly is an amazing bit of work. However, apart from being fantastic reads, AJ's books are about more. They're a motivational tool that show you that you too can change. You're not the story that you were told by your family, by the voices in your own head, your upbringing, your education level or whatever other shite the negative demons or people in your life are telling you. AJ's fantastic work shows you that everybody can change, about how the joy of life is about looking deeper and discovering for yourself, as you will never know how it can change your life and what journeys it can take you on. So we can all make changes in our lives and become more investigative and open to experimentation and discovery in our lives. So listen to this expert to discover how you too can benefit from a life of experimentation and discovery and hit that next level in your life. And now, let's get to the interview. Now, it's an absolute joy to have you on. You're an absolute legend in the scene of transformation, experimentation, really living the challenges you set yourself. But for people who don't know the name, could you just give a quick intro, if that's possible, into who AJ Jacobs is? Absolutely. And thank you for that lovely uh, intro yourself. Uh, It's a joy to be here. Uh, I am a writer and most of my books have been these human guinea pig experiments. So I'll try something out for a year and uh, see how it changes me for the better, maybe for the worse, and try to adopt the better. So I've uh, uh, I lived by all the rules of the Bible for a year. I tried to be the healthiest person alive for a year. I, um, I recently thanked everyone who had even the tiniest role in making my morning cup of coffee, uh, which turned out to be over a thousand people uh, because you've got not just the farmer or the barista, but also, you know, the people who drove the coffee beans, who designed the logo. It was all about how interconnected everything is. So that's it. I, I try to do these um, these experiments on myself, and uh, sometimes they're delightful and sometimes they're painful, but they're always interesting learning experiences, and I try to share that with readers. 
Well, I mean, I particularly love your writing style. You've got a very sort of funny, outgoing, sort of love for life kind of attitude. And, you know, you, you really go into these sort of deep immersion sort of uh, projects. But if we go back to like little AJ, you know, were you an inquisitive child? I've heard you mention in other interviews you didn't particularly like your childhood. Do you think that was like a a motivation point to kind of go to start trying these transformations and it's you just enjoyed sort of jumping into things and learning yeah that's a good question i like it i feel like i should lie down on the couch (laughs) uh uh yeah i mean i you know i didn't have a terrible childhood it's just you know i was the usual socially awkward uh nerdy guy and uh i would say i did always have though curiosity that, you know, I may not be the smartest person in the room or the, you know, the best working, best athlete, but I do feel on the bell curve of curiosity, I am on the far right-hand side. So um, I, I read everything I could read. And even as uh, I remember in high school, for instance, the Scientology Center uh, was about two blocks away from my house. So I remember spending an afternoon investigating just hanging out at the Scientology Center and it was a bizarre experience and I did not become a Scientologist uh, and I don't endorse their uh, their theology however it was awesome because it was like an anthropological adventure and uh, so that is something that I've always had and was there a, can you think of a, like a particular reason that made you sort of drawn to finding out more about that you know where was this sort of natural curiosity from were you always that kind of kid that wanted to know where rain came from and all these kind of things you know because a lot of kids nowadays just want to play sports and they don't really kind of they just google things if they want it but what what made you right. want to kind of be the person that wanted to see the connections, the fine, you know, the puzzle of life, so to speak. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I mean, I first of all, I wish I had Google growing up. I mean, <laughs> that would have been amazing. We had to go to the library. We had microfiche. I, maybe I don't think a lot of your listeners know what microfiche is. Um, but anyway, it was. I think curiosity is partly you're born with it, but partly it can be nurtured. And I once interviewed Alex Trebek, the uh, host of uh, uh, Jeopardy, and I, he had a quote that I loved. He said, Cur- I'm curious about everything, even things that I'm not interested in. So even things that are, he has no interest in, he's curious about. And I, I kind of get that. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I kind of get it. Uh, because I do think anything can be interesting once you start to dive in. In fact, I've often thought it would be an interesting challenge to take something that's stereotypically the most boring topic, like I don't know whether that's accounting or or, or whatever, and then just spend a year diving into it. Because I'm sure that once you get into accounting, like there's fascinating controversies and scandals and uh, grand philosophies and uh, ethics. So anything can be interesting. I can imagine my social life would be a struggle to make it interesting, the way things are going. <laughs> I, I accept your challenge. <laughs> I will go over there and try to uh, and write a book about it. <laughs> well, if you can get a book out of it, you're doing well. <laughs> so where where does the um, experimentation and creativity, it, you know, is that 
should it be a focus for all guys listening? You know, is it best suited for some people? Because some people like the sort of mundane, the the routines they've set for themselves. But do we need to kind of all bring more experimentation in our lives to get rid of the boring stagnation that we've kind of built up? But just the I do think so. I am very pro. I'm sort of a uh, an apostle for experimentation. I mean, I think traditions and routines are good, um, but you need to balance them. And we we often don't have enough experimentation. And they don't have to be crazy. Like, you know, I, I happen to have a book contract, so that allowed me to grow a huge beard and wear biblical robes and, and you know, do uh, crazy things. But you, you can be small scale, even something like trying a new toothpaste every month for a year that can just make your life better uh, in just the smallest ways, but that has profound impact. And neuroscientists will tell you, you know, we, what, what, what they, I think the catchphrase is what fires together, wires together, meaning that we carve these pathways in our brain and it's the equivalent of ruts. And we have to do things differently to get out of those ruts and think more creatively. So even just going to work a different route, uh, anything you can do to make, to, to mix it up and see uh, how it affects your life. Yeah, Cause it's kind of weird, isn't it? As people automatically look at something like that, you know, even if they're not wanting to live a year following the rules of the Bible or think, you know, like some of the more extreme things you've done, they automatically think, no, I can't do that. Is, is that the like a negative mindset for these things? It, you know, are, are we wired to immediately look at ex- experimentation and transformation, these sort of things, as a negative, uh, like a scary aspect? How did you overcome that kind of block from your mind when you were trying to change who you were? That's a good question. I, I think I'm a big fan of the whole fake it till you make it, fake it till you feel it. Um, and I've seen this in a lot of my experiments. So, uh, if you act, there's a quote, I, I didn't come up with it myself, but it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So if you do something, if you pretend you're confident, eventually you will become more confident. Even when I wanted, um, an experiment that was actually, suggested by readers that I should try to be the best husband I could be, uh, partly because I'd put my wife through such hell <laughs> by uh, doing these other experiments. So I did. And one of the things that I did was every day I would bring her a little present. And it was like a little, like, you know, uh, a little bar of avocado scented soap or something small and dumb. But just the act of buying that and bringing it to her and presenting it to her, it after I did it for a few days, it it tricked my mind. I was like, wow, I must really love my wife because I'm bringing her presents every day. And it, I think it, it actually increased my love for my wife by acting as if I was like head over heels. I mean, I love my wife. I, I have a happy marriage overall, but, uh, but this act was very helpful in convincing myself to be even more in love with her. Well, 
that's a sure a sort of a good area to look at. I mean, how did you avoid being murdered by your wife and disowned by your kids <laughs> and that? You know, when you're doing these like fully immersed challenges, like you know, dressing as they did in the Bible, following it to the letter, um, or going out and trying to thank every single person that helped you make your coffee cap, or finding your you know like ninth removed cousins and all these sort of things. How how do we avoid? negative feedback from family members from friends you know in that initial kind of transformation period when you're wanting to get better and the guy your friends are saying come on let's just go for a, a takeaway and get a few pints how, how do you right. you know how do you keep on the track of immersing yourself into these things well i give i'll give you uh an example of what not to do and maybe an example of of something that that might be helpful. I, when I did the year of living biblically, I was following all the rules of the Bible. So the Ten Commandments and love your neighbor, but also there are all these rules in the Old Testament, especially that are not so well known, um, but that are very strict. Like if you follow Leviticus, you should not uh, touch a woman during her menstrual period. Uh, but it goes further that if you follow it literally, a woman, uh, you should not sit in a seat where a menstruating woman has sat because then the seat has become impure. So my wife found that offensive and she sat in every seat in our apartment while she was menstruating. So I had to stand for most of the year. Uh, I was able to buy like a little stool that I kept to myself. A portable stool. So it's a it's amazing how vindictive <laughs> your partner's going to be when they want to. Well, I, I admire her. I think that was one of my favorite things she did. So, uh, uh, I, it's, I that's a genius thing to do to get your own back. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, there are times that it drives my family crazy. But I think when you can bring friends and or family along on your adventure, that is the ideal. So... Uh, yeah, because when you're doing a transformation, a lot of times you're doing interesting new things. That's the whole point. So my current book I'm trying to, um, is about puzzles and I'm trying to sort of learn what can puzzles teach us about living a better life. And, uh, so all kinds of puzzles, crosswords, jigsaws, logic, uh, mazes. And I have, tried to solve the hardest versions of these puzzles. And I've been, whenever possible, take my family along. So we went, a couple of months ago, we went to Spain to uh, compete as the United Team USA in the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championship. And so we were with 40 other countries and we had to put together these puzzles as quickly as possible. And, um, and we did. We we came in second to awesome. last. Oh. <laughs> That's my wife's joke, but I stole it because I think it's true. <laughs> yeah, we, we, were, we were terrible. We fucked, but not as badly as Portugal. Those guys are an embarrassment. But we did. Uh, we came in second. But it was just such a blast uh, doing this weird adventure with all these people who like you know they practice jigsaw puzzling for three hours a day you know we did nothing of the sort but we just had so much fun interacting with this tiny slice of life that i never knew existed but these people are so passionate about it it's wonderful 
So um, whenever you can take them along on your adventure, I think that that will uh, sort of mitigate the annoyance. And is that a big part of the the actual successful mindset is it has to be positive. It has to be something that you enjoy. You know, are you, do you lean towards, um, I'm trying to think of the psychologist who said it, it's like that positive emotion yeah, basically uh, anchors to the brain. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, the hope is that overall it's a positive experience, but nothing's going to be completely positive. So, so there is some sense that you have to, you know, sometimes you have to suffer to, uh, and let me think of an example. Well, I mean, the health one, for instance, there was, there was a lot of suffering uh, in that one because uh, I tried every uh, diet known to humankind. I try, you know, every workout, including uh, the paleo workout where you work out like cave people and crawl around the park and, you know, and uh, in your bathing suit and throw logs and stones. And, you know, it was hilarious and ridiculous. But uh, I will say one thing I did learn from that health experiment is exercise is important. Unfortunately, the doctors are right about that, but you can do exercise that you like. So don't, I, I just do not like the gym. So I just don't force myself to go. You know, there are things I enjoy doing. I like, I like walking. So I am, I walk on my treadmill much of the day. You know, I have a desk set up so that I'm like answering email and, and making phone calls while on my treadmill, I would be doing it now, but sometimes I start to breathe heavily and I didn't want to uh, alarm your listeners. So uh, I'm not on the treadmill <laughs> now. But you know, do, in the end, you have to do the kind of exercise you enjoy or you're never going to do it. And is that uh, the, like that's something I wanted to t- sort of touch on was the consistency sort of muscle, I think the gym ones call it. You know, how do you keep that going when the initial challenge, you know, because as you started, you were maybe getting, um, it's a struggle to kind of adopt the new mindset, do the, like, let your beard grow, follow the exact rules of the Bible when, you know, the social norm said to do X, Y, Z. How do you build up a consistency? How, you know, did you have a framework of approaching these challenges, like research it? and then just fully immersion, or do you gradually build your way into it? Yeah, that's a good, a really good question. And I have a bunch of strategies that I use to try to be more consistent. Um, and I'll tell you them in case they are helpful. Uh, <coughs> one of them is mini goal, miniature goals. Uh, so I do this all the time, like with the treadmill, Sometimes I just don't feel like going on it, but I say to myself, well, you know what? I'm just going to put on my sneakers. I'm not going to promise myself I'm going to get on the treadmill, but I'm just going to put on my sneakers. And then once you do that, you have a little bit of momentum. And then you like say to yourself, well, I'll just get on the treadmill for like one minute. And uh, if I, if I don't like it, I'll just get off. But once you're on there, you have a little momentum. So many goals, I think, are crucial in anything in work. You know, when writing, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm just going to write 
five sentences. You know, I promise myself before I take a break, five sentences. And and often I'll I'll have gotten five sentences down, and I'll have a little momentum, and I'll keep writing. Uh, so that's a big one. Um, another another trick I use is uh, it's about thinking about your future self. Uh, this is a, a strategy I picked up from a Yale professor who uh, talks about how we all have our two selves. We've got the present self that wants to sit on the couch and eat uh, Cheetos. And then the future self, which wants that present self to behave in a responsible way. So the future self is still, uh, you know, able to exist. So the, um, uh, the more you can think about, you know, treat your future self like a friend, like you would a friend, treat him with respect. And uh, uh, I even printed out, there are studies that show if you print, take one of those aging software uh, and put a put your face on it and print it out, uh, just like looking at your future self can be uh, motivating, a little creepy perhaps. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and not everyone needs that, like the visual, but I actually like having a picture of my future self. And when I'm trying to make a decision, I'm like, you know what? I should treat that guy with a little respect and, uh, and try to make sure that, you know, he's, he's around. Uh, I want him to be around to see my kids get married or whatever. So those are two strategies for consistency. That's brilliant because it's, it's a really good way of looking at it is because when we're young or, you know, like th- even up to 30, 40, 50, we never really think about our mortality, do we? You know, mm-hmm. we always look at ourselves as indestructible, that we've always got time, that we could always do X, we could always get the girl, we could always win the fight, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're always going to be the guy that can jump, like, over houses and cars and <laughs> run, you know, run faster than Usain Bolt and all that. We never really like to think that we're going to break down and we're going to become old and, you know, it's, it's um, was it memento mori it's like remember that you're that you're going to die and it's uh, there's a that thing i don't know if you've ever done it where you i think it's 80 birthdays they reckon you have mm. and you work out on a grid the um, like each grid square is um, a week of your life mm. and then you you know you, you shade them out as you go along and it's terrifying when you see how much of your life has been used up? Wow! Um, I'll see. I'll see if I can find it and add a link to the show notes because it really is a scary reminder that I know not every day is um, it's a given, but when you think the average person, you know, seventy-five to eighty years, and it goes in the blink of an eye, right? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Memento Mori, um, and in fact, I have a little on my laptop uh desktop screen i have a little picture of a skull and not a scary skull because i didn't want to be i want so i found like a fun psychedelic colorful skull just to remind <laughs> myself that you know my time is limited and i, and I think you know you've, you've got to balance it because you don't want you want to remember we're only here for a short time uh but you don't want it to blend into YOLO where like, you know, you just do whatever you feel like regardless of how it affects other people. Um, but I think some sense of realizing how entire time is limited, don't get annoyed about, you know, someone cutting you off in the bank line. 
don't get, you know, try to uh, savor. Savoring, I, I think, is a very important idea. Savor every moment you can. So I am overall, I, and I wrote about Memento Mori in several of my books, including I loved this uh, when Roman generals would come back from a victorious campaign, they would be given the parade, but they always had a, uh, a servant who would uh, stand next to them on the uh, chariot, whispering to them that they were mortal so that they remembered to have some humility. So I, I always love uh, that idea. Sounds like one of my ex-girlfriends. Yeah. She used to do that. <laughs> Just that constant little reminder, you know, that you're not the best. You can always do better. And it's like, <laughs> so how did this... version of that. <laughs> so how, how did these changes change you? I mean, did you ever have any, like, a deep-seated sort of belief did any of these ever change? I mean, you approach the the Living Biblical Challenge as, um, would you say you're agnostic or an atheist at the time? Uh, somewhere in the middle there. Uh, yeah, and I still am. But I, well, it definitely did change my, my outlook on the world in pretty significant ways. Um, because uh, I think the, the idea was, I wanted to, I grew up with no religion at all. So this was sort of a way to dive into religion and see what was good and what was bad. And, and I do think it's important that you know, it does have, it, it can be a tool for great harm uh, if you are you know, fundamentalist and if you're not, um, uh, you know, if you try to take the Bible or other sacred texts literally, that is a huge problem. But on the other hand, I got to see some some aspects of religion that I love and that I do try to incorporate. Uh, so, you know, the idea of uh, community or the idea of um, rituals. I used to be very anti... There, well, rituals, it really changed my, my view on rituals because I used to think rituals were completely ridiculous. They're not based on reason. Why would anyone do them? But 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 when you talk to people and think about it, you, you realize, you know, rituals are everywhere and sometimes they can be wonderful and meaningful. Even something like uh, birthday parties, you know, that's a ritual and that's not particularly rational. Like if a Martian came down and looked and saw, you know, some guy, uh, you know, uh, at a Catholic church taking a cracker versus another guy who was you know, had a bunch of uh, sugar and eggs and burning fire on top of it for uh, every year. Like, there's not, not they're not going to say, well, that one's irrational and that one's rational. They're both irrational in a way, but as long as they're, they can be life-affirming, I am now, I see the, you know, the importance of rituals in our lives. Uh, it's quite amazing when you look at it like that, you know, how we give meaning to such strange things, how, the, you know, like you're saying, setting fire to some wax on top of a cake, <laughs> it it's something good, it's like a, a positive one, but then there's negative ritual, you know, it's, it, it is re- weird the things that we celebrate and another ritual that in another world could be flipped over and be could be seen as a positive so how do you then take these challenges on and not lose 
the part of you that you want, you know, like the radical honesty. Mm. It could, you know, that could have been a challenge that you went in and thought, oh, I really enjoy this. I just get to be a complete bastard and I can say <laughs> what I like and stuff like that. But, you know, you didn't lose the the warmth, the the loving personality that you have, that the the, the warm and friendly side of you, you know, the, the very um, outgoing, compassionate person that you are. How do you lock that away and not let it be affected by the challenge, but still give yourself fully to the challenge, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, and just to give some background on those who, who might not have read uh, my article on radical honesty, it was a wild a uh, couple of months of my life, it was uh, because I, I had read about this psychologist in Virginia who believes in, uh, that you should never lie, but he goes further. He says that whatever's on your brain should come out of your mouth, no filter. So, you know, it, dangerous. it's crazy dangerous. Like he says, if, you know, if you're fantasizing about your wife's sister, tell your wife and tell her sister and see what happens. And he says, you know, it, you, you will live a more authentic life and it'll have its, it's, it's a bumpy road, but a better road. So I tried that and, um, yeah. Did you I sleep on the couch? It was, what? Did you sleep on the couch? <laughs> yeah, it was certainly not. Well, I'll give you an example. We were at a restaurant and, um, we ran into, my wife's friends from college and she hadn't seen them in a long time. So they said, Oh, it's so great to see you. We should all hang out and have a play date with our kids. And I had to say what was on my mind, which was, you seem like nice people, but I really have no interest in, uh, in talking <laughs> to you again. So, uh, and I felt terrible and my wife was furious. They were not happy. So yeah, I wasn't particularly compassionate and loving in that moment. Um, but uh, but I think one of the, the takeaways was to spin it in a positive way. So once the experiment was over, you know, I no longer say, like, you look fat in that dress. But I do, um, I think there's radical positive honesty. Like saying, for instance, I had a wonderful experience just calling one of my mentors uh, who I used to work at a tiny newspaper and he was editor and he you know, I worked for him like 25 years ago, maybe. And uh, he was, uh, I was like, you know, out of the blue, just give him a call and tell him how much his mentorship meant to me and uh, what, what fond memories I have. And that was a, a lovely bit of radical honesty because it, it doesn't have to be brutal honesty. It can be radical honesty of positive things. And it can be radical honesty about your own shortcomings, which I find super liberating. Like, you know, instead of trying to come up with excuses, just be like, you know what? I screwed up. I'm really sorry. I'll try not to do it again. But that is on me. Uh, you know, I acted like an idiot. And it is it is much, um, much less uh, emotionally taxing than if you try to like spin reality to make yourself look good. So it's a really good way of looking at it because you associate radical with radicalism and every kind of, you know, like it's always negative connotations to the word. Mm. But it's a really good way of looking at being radically honest, but in a positive way. That's, mm. that's a really good idea. So how did you overcome that initial kind of, oh, my God, I've got to say this out there? 
do you know how how do you break down that social norm kind of part of your brain that's saying whoa 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 we're not dead we definitely can't say i would like to sleep with your sister or you know how did you how did you fight through that kind of initial but you're your brain that's going back away back away let's avoid confrontation and just come out with things well a lot of times i i almost try to see myself as as an actor in my own life or a character and you know or, or almost like I'm floating on the ceiling and saying, can I really say, I'm really going to try this. I'm really going to say it. And then you do it. And I do think that is a, a, a pretty effective strategy when you want to try something new, just like, you know, see yourself as an actor in a role. It's almost like method, method acting, method living. Cause I think that's something we need to do more of into is, is actually be more honest and, some people would call it, but you know, be more radically honest. But some, like even just, we need to stand up a bit more and say what's on our mind. And I think a lot of guys become sort of bowbury and uh, beaten even, um, and kind of don't live to their true potential or don't live happy because they never say how they really feel. And you know, right. and that's a good way of getting to the point where you say how you feel, and then you maybe dial it down a bit when you stop the challenge. But you get to a point where you can kind of go and say what's on your mind and express yourself and be true to what's internal and what you're saying external. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's definitely a, a scary a scary challenge. It is scary. But, so, I mean, I would agree with you and also push back on one point, which is, I think, yeah, you should definitely be honest, but you should also be humble and realize that what you feel uh, or what you believe may be wrong because that that's something i've gotten really much more into in is epistemic humility which is this idea you know that you could be wrong so and that has made my life so much better like when i have arguments with my wife where she says when i said i told you that and she says no you didn't and i was like you know what maybe you're right memory is totally fallible maybe i didn't tell you so i'm telling you now uh but that, that way is, um, I just think it's key to realize how much memory is self-serving and unreliable. And it, mm. it, that, that I find very freeing as well. That is a, is a fabulous point. Um, there was that thing, uh, I really should remember some of these names just now. It's been a long week where they well, said memory, that. There you go. It's proof. Proof memory. It's power. that. That like me and you could have the exact same conversation and remember it and interpret it completely differently later on, and neither of us would be correct. It'd be our own interpretations mm. by our own um, subject, you know, our own like personal bias and stuff like that of how things are meant or what you meant or how you said it. It's communication. It's it's a really interesting um, sort of topic. So how do you then like analyze this? You know, you lived in um, biblically. You've broken yourself down mentally, spiritually, physically. How then do you collate the feedback? You know, I mean, things like the Bible, for instance, there's lots of different variations of the Bible. Um, how did you sort of put it all together and then know what yeah, was a success, what was an overall goal? Did you use things like Evernote? Was it... Um, like how how did how can you 
Well, I'm collate the data and the analysis well, that's a of good it. Question. I mean, first of all, I wish I, I I'd love to hear um, yours and your listeners' ideas because you know I think there are lots of tools I can still learn. Uh, I I'm a big fan of writing everything down, and um, so you know I I take crazy copious notes. So for a book, you know, that's like 80,000 words, I might have you know, 800,000 words of notes. Um, and, uh, and I think the key is, yeah, just trying to highlight the ones that work and the ones that don't work and being very, uh, keeping track of those and like, you know, trying to incorporate the ones that work in your life afterwards. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, this is semi-related, but I'm a big fan of, of feedback and crowdsourcing. So when I'm writing, for instance, uh, you know, I write my book and some people keep it close to the vest. I prefer to send it out there to maybe 15 friends and say, I, I give them very specific instructions. I say, please tell me the five chapters you found most interesting and the five chapters you found most boring. And then I'm able to assemble sort of a spreadsheet and be like, well, like eight people found this chapter boring. There's something wrong. Either I'm going to cut it or I have to rework it. But, you know, six people said that this was their favorite chapter. I better keep that. So I'm, uh, I think focus grouping is, uh, is overall uh, an underused thing for writers. Now let's just take a quick break here to give you a quick note about my affiliates. I've set up some awesome deals with some amazing companies. If you go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates, that's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates, or click on the affiliates deal in the blue ribbon at the top of the website homepage, you can go straight to my affiliate wonderland. There you'll find so many special offers, listener exclusive deals and discount codes available. There really is something for everyone here. It doesn't matter if you're buying for yourself, a special occasion or someone else in your life. You can find whatever you need there and so much more. There's a lot of inspiring companies and interesting products you might not have seen before. Page features companies like Onnit, Amazon, MeUndies, Barbell Apparel, Dollar Shave Club. There's stuff there that can help you with dating, sport and equipment. There's tactical gear, there's outdoor equipment, there's gadgets and gizmos, and so much more. If you need it, it's there. And there's stuff there that you never even knew you wanted, but you'll definitely need it when you see it. Simply go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates and enjoy. Please note, I don't receive any information on you or your purchases. All I receive is a small commission from the company or the business as a thank you for sending you to shop with them. This doesn't affect the price you pay, but it helps me to develop and expand the podcast by using the affiliate sales commissions to then expand on the podcast. So I'm extremely thankful for you to taking the time to spend your money via my links. You're helping me make this podcast bigger and better each week and becoming a better person by doing so by using these amazing products. Simply go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates and enjoy. And now let's get back to the interview. No, I mean, you're because you've got a fantastic writing style. It's you can see your personality come through in your writing. And I always enjoy reading whatever you're, you're putting out there. But one of the things I loved was your infamous one when you, you actually hired personal assistants to run your life. And do you, all your communications and chat? And, and there's a sort of two part question to this. Do you think technology is a good way of tracking, you know, using these like transformation experiment apps um, 
like these kind of habit changers and things like that. And also, how did you find, like, instead of using focus groups and stuff like that, using assistants and stuff like that, you know, any tips? Should people use assistants? Did you find it a success in there? Yeah. Well, this is a long time ago, so before virtual assistants became an actual phenomenon. Because uh, this was like maybe 15 years ago, I read about uh, outsourcing companies that were like out banks and law firms that were outsourcing their boring tasks. And I was like, I don't have a bank or law firm, but you know, I've got things that I'd like to outsource. So I thought, why not outsource my life? So I hired this team of people in Bangalore, India to do everything for me. So they, they answered my phone. They, um, they ordered, uh, answered my emails for me. They, um, and they argued with my wife for me, which was fantastic because they were much more diplomatic and uh, it was good for our relationship. So yes, I am a fan. Uh, I mean, ironically, I am not that good a delegator. It's something I'm working on, even though I wrote this piece that sort of uh, went viral for a while and was included in Tim Ferriss's book. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, I am a fan of outsourcing and... Um, uh, wait, there was another part to your question, though. What was it? Yeah, it's it's more on the use of oh, technology. Right. You know, we get a lot of these apps where it's like you flick a switch and it marks a cross on your calendar and, you know, these sort of habit transformations. Did you use any of these kind of things to build, like, your consistency app to to keep on track? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I talk a lot about that in the health book, the the quantified self movement, which is very interesting. If you Google quantified self, and I've been to a couple of meetups, and I think it depends on the person. Some people are motivated by uh, uh, quantification. I I still love the, uh, I still use the 10,000 steps to motivate myself. So I, even though there really is no, hard scientific evidence that 10,000 is a magic number. Uh, but it's a convenient number. So I do, I, you know, it, it gives me a feeling of accomplishment when I get that 10,000 step. Uh, I mean, it's funny because the, the there's, it, it can be taken to the ridiculous extreme. I remember I was on uh, this show, Dr. Oz. I don't know if you get Dr. Oz over there, but he, um, He's got like a medical syndicated TV show and he asked me to review some apps, some health apps. So uh, I found one that I wanted to use as sort of the punchline as a, a joke. It was it was called uh, Bowel Mover Pro. And it was that you would log every time you had a bowel movement, you would put the data in, you know, consistency or whatever and it also had a sharing feature so you could tweet it out to your friends and i was like this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen weirdly dr oz is very pro poop like he's obsessed with it in some weird way so he was like this is the best this is the one we're going to feature so unfortunately i had to talk him as if i really were endorsing bowel mover pro uh but the reality is I i'm not a fan uh so I guess the point is, yeah, it can be taken to a ridiculous extreme, but I think it can also be very helpful. Yeah, because I mean that—that's my sort of opinion on it as well. That they are helpful if it gets you moving and it keeps you going, and it, it's like a sort of side 
assisted you know it's like it's a small part of what you're doing it's not keeping you going it's just keeps you on track and it lets you sort of collate your finding because we do tend to you know like when people go to the gym oh i'm gonna buy every gadget and new shoes and gym stuff and all that but if you're not getting that consistency going and Mm. that initial steps it doesn't really matter all the accessories you get you need to make that first initial Mm. mindset and sort of habit change and a lot of people struggle I find it very helpful to think about the goal. Like, what is the goal of you being healthy? Is it to, so you look good, like, so you have hard abs, which maybe some people, like, I've been married for whatever, you know, 18 years, so I really don't care about my abs, uh, which I maybe is a bad thing. I'm sorry, uh, Julie, if you're listening. But uh, I do, I do care about, living a long time and living it in a healthy way because you know you can live to be 100 but be sick for the last 30 years so that is my goal so i'm always focused on that goal as opposed to what do i look like what does my you know what do my stomach muscles look like you know what will keep me healthy in the long term and that's why i don't spend a lot of time you know doing uh, planks or whatever i i uh, I, you know i just i try to get moving as much as possible and and do some weight lifting uh i'm not an extreme weight lifter but i do some so, I mean, for people listening just now who are going, oh, yeah, that sounds a great book, and, you know, they've been a big fan of your writing, etc., but they're maybe sitting on the fence about making their own change. You know, how how have you got through the usual BS excuses you'll hear? I can't do that because I'm married. I can't do that because I've got kids. I can't do that because I've got a full-time job. How can we start bringing our own um I don't know what you if you want to call them challenges, um, short immersion projects, or whatever, however they want to kind of call it. Should they start small and gradually build up? Um, you know how how do we do this with family, the dogs, the kids, the job? Well, I think just what you said: start small and build up, or don't start small and stay small. That's fine too. I mean, you can do. No matter how busy you can you are, you can still do things like, you know, try a week without gossiping. Uh, it's painful, but I definitely did it for my Bible book, and it was fascinating because you realize how much of your energy is expended on on negative talk about other people. And I do think some gossip has its has its social uses. So I'm not anti all gossip, but a lot of it is just. Um, yeah, yeah, unnecessary. And uh, and when you gossip, it sort of is a, a, a positive feedback loop. The more you gossip, the more negatively you view other people. So, so yeah, that doesn't take much time, not gossiping. Or like, you know, try going uh, plant-based for a week, you know, just a week. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life, but see how it, how it feels, see what it's like. So, yeah, as a, just like what you said. Start small and uh, and and see where it goes. That's a scary one. Giving up meat, I keep <laughs> I, I keep seeing that everywhere, and it's just the thought of just eating aubergine lasagnas and all those sort of things. It's uh, well, I mean, you're in luck. You're in a good time because I do think that this uh, sort of clean meat, the lab-grown meat, will be will be online in the next ten years. So you'll get to eat your cow and your 
pigs and anything else, leopards, rhinos. Um, it'll just be much more um, environmentally uh, sustainable. The diet side of things is interesting. You know, it's the like how we in the sort of West look at eating bugs and insects as disgusting and no, we couldn't do that. But there's a whole like cultures that regularly eat like grasshoppers and ants and things like that because of the high level of protein that they get into them. And it's an interesting way how we look at, you know, um, the meat free meat that's getting created in labs and the was it what do they call it the impossible burger that's not made of any meat at all and yeah i love it burger so what's up by the way just uh, in case your listeners are interested called um i i think it's uh animal i'll i'll get the exact you can put it in the show notes but it's called something like some we eat some we love, some we hate, and some we eat. And it's sort of why, what, what are the cultural reasons behind why? Why do we love dogs and not eat them? And why do we hate rats uh, and not eat them? And why do we sort of have uh, middling feelings about cows but do eat them? Because there's that, um, the PETA, you know, the ethical treatment to animals, and it's the they had a picture that of like animals with a line down the middle, and it said, "Why do we eat like the cows and like the chickens and things like that?" And then the next was like dogs, cats, etc. Like, why don't we eat those? Right. And it was thinking, well, yeah, some cultures do, and True. but then that comes down to what we find cute, you know, like the fact that we've kept the pandas alive. <laughs> you know, they they will not pro. Um, they will not go out and try to save their own species. We kind of have to help them along to try to get them to procreate and, you know, to have offspring because right. we think they're effective, but we try to kill out other species. It's Right. They got those big eyes. And I will say my favorite version is um, I heard it on, uh, I forget whose podcast, but people for the ethical treatment of self-reinforcing systems. And it's not a joke. It's a real... Uh, a community that thinks about the philosophical issue of whether uh, robots will eventually have moral status. Will they have consciousness? And and do they have consciousness already? Or even something down to like a thermostat. Does that have a very like uh, minimal sense of consciousness in some sense? Uh, and should we be concerned about that? So check out people for the ethical treatment of self-reinforcing systems. It's it's quite amazing that there's things like that. I mean, it is quite interesting how you call a car she. You know, we we give human characteristics to possessions in a way. You know, and it's some mm-hmm. things are always female, some things are always male. It's it's certainly an interesting area. I mean, when you were doing this. Was there a time that you encountered uh, like a major rejection? Did something go wrong and you know you maybe completely forgot the challenge or you broke the rules of the challenge? How you know how how should we deal with those times that we slip up? And is there a sort of per- like an experience that you can talk about and give an example of how you got back on the horse, so to speak? Sure. Well, I think yeah. I mean, all of the everything I've done has been filled with failures and uh, and backsliding and um, 
and I think the key is just to, you, you, trying to forgive yourself, have the same compassion for yourself as you would for someone else. But uh, yeah, there's tons of examples. I mean, uh, just doing uh, like living biblically, you know, the Bible says that you should not lie or covet or gossip. And I'm a journalist and I live in New York City. So that's like 80% of my day. So I was doing that all the time. And you had, you know, the key is trying and then just realizing that you're going to fail. You're going to fail a lot and uh, and be okay with that. And, and realize, you know, the greater goal is to get some good out of it, not be perfect. So you've done some amazing things, you know, that you've ripped apart your uh, fitness and, re- and defined what fit being fit means to you. You've looked at spiritual and like holy texts and how what's good and what's bad. You know, you've looked like uh, relationships and how we're all interconnected and things like that. Are you, can you have a normal life now? Do you find you get boring if um, life gets just too repetitive? Do you worry that you'll need to keep going like bigger and bigger challenges just to to keep that side of you going? Or do you just need to sort of scratch that itch every so often? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think that I love what I do. So I love I, you know, even when books are dead and, you know, I'm a retiree and uh, I'll still be trying things out because I think that's what makes life interesting. And so I am loving researching this puzzle book, for instance, you know, just um, and, and I think the key is also meeting people who are passionate about it and and learning from them. Uh, that's my favorite part. I actually, as a writer, I hate the act of writing, I find it really quite unpleasant to sit in a room alone and, and type out words. But uh, I love the research and I love talking to people afterwards. So that is the part, uh, you know, even after uh, if my writing career ever ends, I'll still have the other two parts, which I do uh, actually like better. So how um, that was a massive area that I was also wanting to cover. I mean, I've already seen second or third interviews coming off of this but how did you write if you didn't enjoy it i mean i think you said that you wrote one of your books on the treadmill etc is that just a case of act as if you do enjoy doing it and just it's like the guys that say go to the gym and just do one exercise one set of one exercise and then because you're already doing it the motion just keeps you going that is a big part of it and i think for me it's like i have to a lot a certain time, I say, you know, I am going to write no matter what for these four hours. I, I slot out, turn everything off for hours and and remind myself that the first half hour, maybe the first hour is going to suck and not, maybe nothing usable will come out of that. But if you force yourself to keep going, then you sort of get in the rhythm. So that's, I really am a big believer in that you'd really... Um, you got to set a goal for yourself, whether it's four hours or you say, I'm going to write a thousand words today, something concrete so that you can't just, uh, you know, weasel out of it and uh, and go, you know, play so, uh, play ping pong or whatever. <laughs> so what would, what would you do then if one of your kids came to you and said they wanted to do that, you know, that they wanted to live a year in 
<laughs> as X or, you know, how how do you a encourage that side of them the the interest and the you know wanting to be creative and experiment and learn about life, but also guide them through trying mm. out new things so they're not the kid that goes away and changes into like I don't know like a prep or a, like a, somebody that's not them to try to fit in how do you help them find who they are in this kind of world which is constantly changing with 90 million different options that you can do mm. how can fathers help their kids as they develop uh, yeah, I, that's a great question. I would say, I mean, first of all, you got to be careful of what what experiment you embark on because they have, you know, for instance, they have half jokingly, but not really joking, uh, said that they want to do a year of eating nothing but candy. So, you know, that I'm like, don't oh. we all? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure what you would learn from that. Would that make your life or anyone else's better? I'm not sure it would. So, um, so be careful of what they choose, and then. Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, I am a believer in that you can, uh, that, that we, um, you know, when people say be yourself, I think that that is true to some extent. You know, there are some things that are fixed in us. Like if you're gay, you're gay. You know, it's not like you're going to be converted out of being gay. Um, but a lot of us, a lot of our personality is much more fluid than that. So I think it's okay to change yourself. And for instance, I think that I was born an introvert. Um, uh, but I think that I realized that forcing myself to be an extrovert makes me a happier person because I get to talk to more interesting people. So I have acted as if I'm an extrovert for so long that I, you know, I'm 60% there. I'm, I'd say I'm 60% extrovert, 40% introvert. And I think uh, my life is better for it. So I, I wouldn't be, um, I, I don't get too caught up in worrying about like, I'm going to lose myself because maybe there are parts of myself that I should lose. Uh, it's, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting concept of like, kids you know they they have that natural curiosity anyway you know they always ask well why is that how is that what is that where does that come from and i've i've got two young nephews at the moment and i love that thing about them they've kind of rekindled my own interests in things you know it's the and previous kind of beliefs about myself have changed mm. like you're saying just now because i've opened myself back up to well, maybe I'm not like that. Maybe I am the the guy that makes a fool of himself in front of other people just to make them yeah. happy. You know, like that does that's not self conscious. That you, it's like the story we tell ourselves, and I think that's a big part of these kind of challenges is overcoming the. No, I couldn't do that because of, you know, we automatically lock ourselves out of these kind of changes. I mean, I could go on for like three hours on each of the areas. I mean, the the books are phenomenal. But is there anything that you wish you had done in these challenges that that you didn't get a chance to, or is there a particular challenge that you've seen somebody else do that you would love to give a try? That you know, like if you could go anywhere. Well, I will tell you that 
I don't want to give this a try, but I think it, I've gotten a lot of reader suggestions saying that <clears throat> I should try to become the uh, best lover in the world, like do all the positions in the Kama Sutra. And honestly, I feel I'm too old and tired, like, and I don't think my body has that flexibility anymore. But I think it would be interesting for someone else to do it and because, you know, I think it is a big part of life. So, um, yeah, if there is an intrepid young uh, uh, journalist who wants to go out and try to become the best lover in the world, I would support him or her uh, fully uh, by buying the book. No, I'm not going to support him any other way. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean... I know we're we're coming up to an hour, and I can't. It feels like ten minutes. I I, I love chatting to you because it's it's such an absolute joy, and I love reading your content. And you know, it really kind of it brightens up the day, the the like the fun and the the joy and that you put into your writing. But you also learn a lot from it. Um, so for those listening who think, okay, I want I want to learn more about you and you know read your books and stuff like that, but what would be the first challenge you'd set somebody? You know, what's a sort of dip your toe into the water kind of challenge that right. is it just as simple as changing your toothpaste or should they pick it? You know, like, is there a kind of general topic you give somebody? I think, well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. I feel the same way about your podcast. I love listening to it. Um, and yeah, I think it's very personal, so I don't want to uh, give an assignment, but I do think, think one thing that could make the world better is if, like, I'm, you know, I'm pretty liberal. I grew up in New York, um, but I do try to force myself to listen to podcasts about from the other side. Like, you know, I, I listen to some interesting libertarian or conservative podcasts, and uh and I just think, you know, wherever you are on the spectrum, uh, politically or ideologically, try to push yourself and, and be okay with being annoyed because that really is, I, we've become so polarized that I think that is one of one thing that will help us, uh, you know, heal and, and get back to some sort of sanity is by forcing us to ourselves to see the other side. So that's that's a, a weird, a small experiment, but it's actually quite challenging. Because that was something that you said in one of your, uh, the fabulous interview you did with Aubrey Marcus, was looking at the division, you know, like in the relationships you were discussing, and you said about how there's that division just now, with American politics and stuff and how we need to look at everybody as part of one tribe rather than these individuals or groupings and how, you know, I think it was Aubrey that said by creating your own sort of set area, you then create competition and then you try to beat out the next one down and be better than the other person, you know, the other groups of people. So how, how do we, it's like how do we become better at like connections and things like that because you wrote a, a, a awesome book on the um, you know how we're all interrelated and things like that and everybody of course that's religious will go the whole adam and eve story etc but right. how should how should we look at it in terms of yes we are all connected but we use it 
like non-religious people as well and look at it in terms of treating each other better you know connections yeah. and being better people and well yeah that, you know just being a better society. i definitely don't have all the answers uh but <laughs> i do agree that tribalism is, is perhaps the, the the biggest problem we face and uh i would say you know one thing that did help me is is that book you talked about where i uh, it's this movement to build a, a family tree of everyone on earth, just to remind us how closely we are all related and that we share 99.5% of our DNA. So that's one thing I've, I find helpful. Um, I try to, uh, you know what the strategy I use a lot when I'm reading the news is the veil of ignorance, which is this idea that if you're going to set up a society from scratch, you would want to go into it almost totally ignorant of who you are. You don't know what your race is. You don't know what your gender is. Uh, you don't know whether you're rich or poor because that way you can design a fairer society. And I use this strategy when reading the newspaper because I find that, you know, that helps me get out of my own little tribal mindset. If I say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to read this as if I were someone totally different and see how that feels. So, yeah, they're, they're little hacks um, that I think are uh, can be powerful, uh, but it's an ongoing struggle, and, but uh, also the most important one. Because it, it's something I forget sometimes is when I've like read and listened to so many different podcasts that sometimes I forget when I'm asking the question, not everybody knows what I'm talking about. So in my head, I'm going, oh, your book, and they're going, well, yeah, explain it. Because I get so passionate about like great books and great like people who write um, really well and great podcasts and great guests. And it's sometimes it's really hard to interview like people like yourself that. I'm so interested in like the 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 deep sort of things. It's to kind of introduce it as well. I mean, this is why I try to keep it general in the first one. I mean, I want I definitely would love to have you on again and really go into the each of the experiments and stuff like that. But I would love it. And I thought it was a wonderful conversation. I hope other people find it helpful. So I, I really appreciate you having me on. So what would you what would you say to people listening? What what would you want them to take from this? Because I know we've just come to our sort of time limit. I mean, I could talk for an extra three hours, but what do you want people listening to to take as like a, a overall message on things like transformation, changing your life to becoming the the man that you want to be, not who you are, but who you'd like mm. to be? Well, I think you summed it up very well. It's uh, just... Um, experiment more, uh, you know, and know, be okay with the discomfort and try to keep your your eye on the goal, which is to try to be a better person. Know that, it, you know, sometimes you're going to succeed and sometimes you're going to fail miserably. But in the end, hopefully you'll have learned some wisdom. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, don't get stuck in those neural ruts, which, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of as anyone. But uh do your best to make new tracks in your brain. And was there somebody who you looked at as, as a role model for change? You know, was there somebody that could do this, that inspired you each, you know, that kind of to get into this? Was there a particular, maybe not a psychologist, but somebody that could go out and just whatever they wanted to do, they would just 
go for it? Like, is there was there a role model that you looked up to in this kind of area? I mean, this is a little. This is not a psychologist at all. When I was growing up, my favorite uh, singer was David Bowie, and I just thought he was so brilliant at reinvention and trying new things because he changed his sound, he changed his looks, he did that Ziggy Stardust craziness. And, uh, I, you know, I just love, he was never static. He was always pushing the boundaries. So say, this is quite a morbid one, unfortunately, but say you died and, you know, you've got the ticker thing coming along at the bottom of the screen. You've got the masky in your family, what you want on the tombstone, etc. What would you like as your sort of eulogy? You know, what would you like them if they had to sum up in a sentence or two and sum up your life and what you've achieved and how you've helped other people and all the amazing books and stuff like that? What would you want people to remember about you? Well, that's funny. Uh, I, I've actually been talking a lot about this because I went to a funeral the other day. Um, so, first of all, I would definitely. Uh, as an agnostic, I don't think I'm I'm going to be at the funeral or looking down on it. So I think people should do what they find most entertaining. So have a good time. Don't dress in black. There's really no need for that. Um, dress like I do every day in like a sweatshirt. Um, also, uh, the the speeches don't have to be like you know profound. They can be uh, they can be you know, someone might want to do statistics, like the number of times that I, uh, you know, I said my particular catchphrase or the number, you know, that you could do pros and cons of my life, what, what I did well and what I sucked at. So that's my first note is have fun with my funeral because, uh, you know, I'm not going to be there. It's not going to help me if you're all somber. Uh, second, I guess, the big takeaway is the one that we've said before is is just um, try new things. I really do believe the, the, the purpose of life is to try to reduce suffering and increase happiness for everyone. So that's the filter I try to live my life through. Now, the second last question I always ask, now this one's going to be a bit weird because usually I ask what is an unusual fact about yourself, you know, that kind of really surprises people. Now, we get people who come out with, oh, I play such and such a musical instrument and all that kind of stuff, but you've done some amazingly weird and strange and <laughs> different things that anything's going to sound like, oh, all right. You know, is there something that, after everything you've done, still really surprises people? Well, let's see. I, I mean, this, I don't think people know this, but um, one thing as a father I try to do is to... Uh, uh, do things, adopt the interests of my kids. And uh, uh, some of my kids uh, have uh, are, are big Pokemon Go fans. So I am right now, I love, I mean, I love it. It's so, uh, it's such a nice little game. And people think that it died out four years ago. It is still going strong. It makes over a billion dollars a year, and there and you meet this weird community because you go out on these little quests and you see these people standing on the street corners with their iPhone uh, playing Pokemon Go, and you have an immediate connection. Like I'm not going to say it's the secret to overcoming tribalism, but it's a fun little community that you've got like this weird connection to people 
that you would never meet. Uh, and you can talk about your own, you know, your little dorky uh, quest together. Because it used to be that kids, you know, like the the ones hiding away in the, the, the basement playing Dungeons and Dragons and things. I used to love that kind of games and I never found anybody growing up that was into those sort of things. And I think that's the joy that our kid, like kids nowadays are going to get is there is so many different options and there's always kids able to like Pokemon Go and Dungeon Dragons is cool. And, you know, you don't have to just sit and play football and go and listen to music. There's every sort of taste that's is open. It, it's it's great, but then it also opens up too much, you know, so anal- was a paralysis by analysis because they sometimes get too many options and it's, uh, it will be a sort of fantastic, Sort of next generation. Um, sorry, that's a bit of a tangent. <laughs> no, we absolutely. I agree. 100%. Well, I definitely. I mean, I've still got pages of questions, and I know we're way all over our time limit, so I definitely will have you on again. But for those listening who want to get your books, um, read some of your awesome blog articles on your website, who want to find out more about you, what you're up to, you know, get the next book and puzzles. How do they find you? How do they get in touch? You know, is there like a, a waiting list to sign up to, to get more information on the book? Not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing revolutionary. It's my website is ajjacobs.com. My tweet, Twitter is at ajjacobs, uh, and I'm on Facebook, and I would love to hear from folks. Well, I honestly cannot say thank you enough for this. It's been an absolute joy. I mean, I've forgotten how much fun I had from the last one. Just and listening to all the like, you know the conversations again was just great fun. It was I've forgotten how much it kind of inspired me when I listened to like your your show with like Tim and with Aubrey, etc. You made me realise the like the first time when the audio the audio didn't work was there is more to life. You're not just stuck where you are, that that you can experiment. And if it doesn't work, just come back and go again. That there is more to do and it can change who you are. You know, you're not bound by the story you tell yourself or what society tells you you're going to be or your upbringing. And I think that's the the joy and the, the great thing about your books is you're showing people that, they can become better, they can change, they can go and do what they want. And, you know, obviously don't go and hurt people and become like the jerk that starts being radically honest with everybody, you know, <laughs> like, but, you know, you can't be wrong. You know, there's, you teach people that there is more to life, that you can step into being a new identity. And I think that's, that's an amazing thing. And you should be extremely proud of the work that you've put out there. And I just love seeing you popping up and speaking and discussing these things and i can't wait to get the new book um is there anything you'd like to promote just now anything coming up anything that you would like to mention no no my next book won't be out for another year my most recent one was thanks a thousand um but i want to echo what you said i i love listening to your podcast and i'm honored that i provide some inspiration because you and your guests provide inspiration to me have you got a favorite episode well, this one, of course. <laughs> uh, well, what is, uh, tell me some of your favorites, because uh, uh, and maybe that'll spark. Well, actually, 
you shouldn't do that because then you might get in trouble with your other guests. So I'm going to go. That'll be my next um, my next project. I'll I'll binge listen and come up with a favorite and email you. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.